Christmas is an amazing time because it's God's declaration of peace, peace and goodwill available to all of us for the taking. But what does that actually mean here and now, 2,000-something years on from that very first Christmas? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much again for joining me on Christianity Works. Today we're going to spend some time together to wrap our hearts and minds around God's declaration of peace towards you and me, which is, after all, what Christmas is all about. So let's head into God's Word. Here we are. Christmas is almost upon us. Can't believe it, but there you go. Another year, just a few weeks to go. And on the program, we're talking about peace. We've been talking about peace the last couple of weeks because there's so much so much turmoil in people's lives. We get a lot of feedback. People write and ring and send us emails who have listened to this program. And for so many people, what they consistently say is that as they've let God's word through this program, Christianity Works, come into their lives and into their hearts, it's given them peace in the midst of their turmoil. And that's what God does. That's what God's word does. God's heart is for us to have peace. But what is peace? What does it look like? Over the last few weeks, we've been looking in the book of Ezekiel, which talks about Israel's rebellion against God. God blessed them greatly, and God started a covenant with them, a promise, a relationship that we can read about. We won't go there now, but you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 26. Ah, we will go there now. Let's go on. Grab a Bible. Can't help myself. Let's go and have a look at Leviticus chapter 26. And this covenant talks about God's blessing. It begins by saying, If you follow my statutes and keep my commandments and observe them faithfully, I will give you the rains in their due season, and your land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field will yield their fruit, and your threshing floor will overtake the vintage, and you'll be blessed. I'll bless your socks off if you keep my commandments. And in the middle of it, he says, And I will make my dwelling place in your midst, and I won't abhor you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. That is the heart of God. It's the heart of God then, and it's the heart of God now. God's heart is to be our God and for us to be his people. But right after that, he says, But if you will not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and abhor my ordinances so that you do not observe all my commandments and you break the covenant, this promise, I in turn will do this to you. I will bring terror on you, consumption and fever that waste the eyes and cause your life to pine away. And then he goes and lists all the curses that will befall Israel if they don't keep the commandment. And that's the dilemma of humanity. You read through the whole Old Testament and Israel could never uphold their end of this covenant. And nor can you and nor can I. We can't keep our end of that covenant. And like a marriage, when when we fail, we reject God. It's like adultery in a marriage. And God, out of his great love, lets his anger roll forth. That's what this punishment is about. We saw last week on the program, and if you weren't with us, you can listen to the program again at our website, christianityworks.com. Go and have a listen. That God's anger is kindled 
out of his love because he wants his people to come back again. And you can read all about that in Ezekiel chapter 14. So that's the dilemma of the Old Testament covenant that we just read in Leviticus chapter 26. On the one hand, God wants to bless us. On the other hand, if we don't obey him, he will curse us and he will bring his punishment and judgment and anger upon us. But sandwiched right in the middle of those two, in Leviticus chapter 26 from verses 11 through to 13, is this heartbeat of God. I will place my dwelling place in your midst and I shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And because we can't hold up our end of that bargain, God had a choice, either to keep punishing us or to come up with a new plan, a new covenant. And he did that. We looked at that last week on the program. He came up with a roadmap for peace. And it was never a plan B, it was always his plan A because, as I said, the Old Testament is a story about how we struggle with God. And clearly, over a thousand years, it tells us that Israel could never uphold its end of the bargain through its own works. So God can either punish us or God can come up with a new plan and God came up with a new plan that we read about in Ezekiel chapter 37 where he said, I will make a covenant, a new covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will bless them and multiply them and I will set my sanctuary amongst them forever. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people and then the nations around them shall know that I am the Lord God who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is among them forevermore and that new covenant, that new sanctuary, that new presence of God in our midst is Jesus Christ and that is what Christmas was about. You flick forward to John chapter 1 the fourth book in the New Testament, it says, and the word became flesh. God became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. In other words, the very presence of God came into our midst. That is awesome. That's what Christmas is about because God steps into our dilemma. God puts on flesh. God wraps himself in our flesh and puts himself in your life and my life, here and now, and that's the Christmas present, God himself, wrapped in our flesh. One of us stepping into our dung heap, into our circumstances, into our sickness, into our pain, into our lostness, and saying, I'm here. Now let me bring you peace. Christmas is God's declaration of peace with humanity, and that's what we're going to look at during the course of this program. We'll be back after this short break. Well, we're talking about the central human dilemma, which is our rejection of God. And, and you know, when we rejected God, we all have... None of us have lived up to the glory of God. We've all fallen short and sinned. When we rejected God, we declared war on God. And the reason so many people in this world don't have peace in their lives, peace in their hearts, peace in their spirits, is because they haven't accepted God's peace plan. When Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple. If you've got a Bible, grab it and open it at Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. When Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple and they presented him at the temple. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man 
was a righteous and devout man looking forward to the, the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, Simeon came up into the temple and when the parents brought the child Jesus in to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant. Wait for it in peace according to your work. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. See, this old man Simeon, in his spirit, knew that God was sending his saviour, Jesus Christ. And he said, I can now go in what? In peace, in shalom. Because Jesus brings peace. Now, some people won't accept Jesus, and it goes on to talk about that in this chapter. And Jesus himself later said, you know, I'm going to bring division because some people will reject Jesus and some people will accept Jesus. And it's funny, you know, when I talk on different radio stations, some radio stations don't want me to talk about Jesus. They're happy for me to talk about God, but not about Jesus because Jesus is a stumbling block to a lot of people. But those who accept Jesus, to them he brings shalom, peace wholeness, blessing, prosperity, that assurance that God is with us. There's a beautiful picture of that, just a few chapters on in, in Luke. Let's go and have a look. It's just a wonderful picture of this woman in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Let's have a read. Because here this woman is so low, she's so desperate, and Jesus brings her peace. This is what it says. One of the Pharisees who were religious leaders asked Jesus to come and have dinner with him. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was known to be a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment, and that was worth a fortune. She stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with this ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, this religious leader who had invited Jesus, saw it, he said to himself, well, if this Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is and who's touching him, and she's a sinner. Well, Jesus knew what he was thinking and spoke up and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, said Simon, speak. A certain creditor, said Jesus, had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he cancelled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them would love him more? And Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards this woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came... She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were so many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We don't know what sort of sin this woman 
had, but you can bet your life that she was either a prostitute or an adulteress. She must have had quite a bit of money because um, this jar of alabaster was very expensive indeed. In contrast, you have the Pharisees, the religious leaders, these, these fanatics who went to endless lengths to obey God's law. And this Pharisee Simon invites Jesus over for dinner and they do all the right things, but you know, they never gave Jesus any water to wash his feet, which was customary. They never greeted him with a kiss, which was customary. They never anointed him with oil, which was customary. So they were going through the motions. Their heart wasn't in it. And this this prostitute or adulteress, I don't know how she got into the house, but she did. And she does all these things, this lowliest of the low, takes this jar of alabaster worth a fortune and, and she cries tears onto his feet and washes it off with a hair and, and kisses his feet. I mean, you know, it's pretty inappropriate, lewd behaviour, isn't it? But that's who she is. And Jesus touched her heart. And what she was doing was expressing her love and her acceptance and her faith in Jesus, the only way she knew how she gave her heart to Jesus and Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in shalom. We often compare ourselves to other people. You know, we, we look around and we think, oh, how they dress, what they do. We look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And our rejection of God is a massive thing. I look back on my life and still today I make mistakes. And when we do that, it is an offence to God and God calls it sin and he sees our heart. We judge ourselves on the outside the way the Pharisee judged the woman. And we think, well, I'm not good enough. The Jesus that I know, the Jesus of Christmas, the one that I don't deserve, brought his mercy and brings his peace when you and I give our hearts to him. No, we don't deserve it. That's the whole point. Under the old covenant that we talked about before, you know, if we honour God with everything we are all the time, we get blessing. If we don't, we get cursing. I deserve cursing. I deserve punishment. You probably do too. And we look at other people and think they're so much better than me and, and I don't deserve this. You know what Jesus does? He turns around the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the people who know they don't deserve it, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus came for that woman. Jesus came for you. Jesus came for me. That's the Christmas present. And when we acknowledge our poverty, when we acknowledge our weakness, when we acknowledge our inability to do all the things that we need to do to be perfect, and we acknowledge there's only one way, and we believe in Jesus, then by faith we are saved. Not of our own doing. It's a gift from God. It's not the result of our own works, so we can't boast. It's a free gift. I'm not good enough for God. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why on that clear, cool, starry night in Bethlehem, that child was born so he could come to this earth and pay for my sin, ugly word, sin, and yours. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe this Christmas gift into your heart. And we'll talk a little bit more about that gift after this short break.
where we're talking about the wonderful peace that comes at Christmas time. Christmas is God's declaration of peace. Just flicking back to Isaiah chapter 37, we were talking about that earlier in the program, where God acknowledges the problem of Israel. The problem of Israel was they could never keep up their end of the promise between them and God, the covenant it was called, where God said, if you honour me first, if you do all these things, I'll bless your socks off, and if you don't, I'll punish you with my anger because I want you to know that I am the Lord your God. God's heart is always to be our God and for us to be his people. But we can't hold up our end of that bargain. And so when we rejected God, there was a war between us and him, and at Christmas time, God declares peace. His peace plan is set out in Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning at verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with my people. It'll be an everlasting covenant with them. And I'll bless them and I'll multiply them. I'll set my presence among them forever and my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. That's us. And many years later, the Apostle Paul, after the birth and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5. He says, we are justified. That means we are set right by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was born at Christmas time, was God's declaration of peace. You need peace in your life. We all need peace in our life. And the main reason we don't have peace is we reject God. Well, Jesus is God's peace offering for us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. And okay, we're going to go through sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and that hope doesn't disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God is now present with us. So what Paul's saying is, first and foremost, we're justified. We are set right through Jesus. Peace has broken out through Jesus with God. And we have access to that because we're standing in his grace. If you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are set free and we have access to God's peace. And Paul's realistic. He says, okay, life still can be tough, but the Holy Spirit's been poured into our heart and he's been poured into us and that's a hope that never disappoints. You see what's happening here? God started off in a building, well, in a tent, in the Exodus, in the desert. And then he moved into a building called the temple. And then he moved into a man called Jesus. And when we place our faith in this Jesus, God puts his spirit in us. See, there's God's dream. There's God's heart. I will be your God and you will be my people and I will tabernacle amongst you. I will live with you. All of that is possible through Jesus. And now this peace isn't some theoretical thing. It's real. It's being able to live a life in the knowledge that God is in control, that God has forgiven us, that, that we have peace with God. See, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what Paul writes is this, much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, that is set right with God by Jesus, 
we will be saved through him, through Jesus, from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, it's not just a past thing. It's not just, okay, we were set right with God. We've got life to live. You have a life to live. And God's plan for your life is peace. Not theoretical, not theological, in life, here and now. I was talking with a man recently who's been through a lot in his life, a couple of marriages, into his third relationship. He knows about God, but he hasn't ever given his heart over every single bit of him the way that woman did in that story. And that's a tragedy. Because until we do, there can be no peace, no completeness, no safety and soundness and, and prosperity and peace and, and quiet and tranquility and contentment and knowledge of God. What about you? Heading into Christmas, have you given every part of your life over to Jesus? Are you living in the peace that he came to give you? Like that woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'm going to pray for you right now. If you want God's peace, we're going to pray for God's peace. Father, I pray for everybody who's listening right now. You know where each one of us is at. And Lord, you have this passion to be our God and for us to be your people. And Lord, we believe that you sent your son Jesus at Christmas time to be your peace offering. Father, we just want to accept him maybe for the first time or afresh or anew, wherever we are. Lord, we lay our lives, every part, every compartment, everything that we would hold on to, we lay down at your feet and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord. And Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would pour your spirit out into each one of us and you would fill us with a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I just pray that you would bless our socks off with your presence and your grace and your love and your spirit and your son and your peace. Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimat. Before we go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This podcast is only made possible through the prayer and support of friends like you. Each week, millions of people hear about Jesus through Christianity Works radio and television broadcasts and through podcasts just like this one. Your generous gift of support today will help take the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide around the globe. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and click the donate button. And when you do give, don't forget to request your free copy of this month's latest life application e-booklet. Thank you so much for your generous gift of support today. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. We'll catch you again next time.